Well, good morning. So good to be here with you today. I'm just going to set my uh, my phone here on silent. <clears throat> but uh, my name is Jared Adrian. By by the sounds of it, I think everybody knows me, but I don't know everybody here. Um, I think I'm candidating for the lead pastor position here. Wow. Uh, <clears throat> That's exciting to get a clap, well, at least a couple of them. Uh, but uh, I've had the privilege of walking with the search committee that the elders have put forward and, and to get to know some of the people on that committee and also some of the elders a little bit more and touch base with them as I know many of them already. Um, but uh, yeah, so good to walk through the process and now be here uh, standing before you. It has been a whirlwind to say the least for me. Uh, you'll hear a little bit more about that after the gathering if you stick around for the picnic. Uh, if that's what we're going to call it, picnic. Yeah, sure. Call it a picnic and uh, we'll hang out together and you can ask me any questions. I would love to get to know you. And uh, yeah, so please come and introduce yourselves. A couple of you did a great job of that. They would just reach out their hand and go and say their name, which is very helpful uh, for me. So, <clears throat> so thank you so much. But uh, good to be here with you uh, today. Uh, the glasses are here just in case my eyes start failing. I'm at that age where just like sometimes it gets fuzzy. And so you young uh, teenagers, uh, that's what you got to look forward to. Um, <clears throat> well, if you're new here or new to Christianity on our journey of faith, welcome. Uh, especially for those live streamers, welcome here. It is uh, good to have you. And uh, would you just please grab your Bibles, if you have a Bible, uh, please bring a Bible to church. It's a good time to bring your Bible and dust it off and get it here. But uh, turn your Bible to the book of Ephesians and you can go to chapter one or you can just open an app and find a Bible on the app and go to chapter one of Ephesians. We're gonna spend our time actually in this whole book um, I recently actually finished reading through the book in my personal devotional time and knowing what you guys have been going through over the last few months, I found that this book uh, to the Ephesus church would be a great one to just kind of do an overview of. And so uh, for the next four hours, we're going to walk through uh, the book of Ephesians and uh, it's going to be great. But before we do, uh, let me just uh, bow, our, bow our heads and pray. Well, Jesus, we thank you so much. We thank you that you are holy, that you are our redeemer, that you are our salvation. Uh, Lord, uh, please encourage us this morning uh, through your word. Help us see things that maybe we've never seen before in a text that is familiar maybe to many of us. Lord, do a work in our hearts as there are emotions and and uh, pain here and um, in all of us. And, and we need your encouragement. And so we invite you here with us now. Uh, use uh, what I've prepared uh, for your name's sake and for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Thank you for amen and back there. It's good to have kids' voices in the, in the room. So good. 
Well, to tackle a whole letter is a big deal. I'm not sure if you've ever tackled a whole letter of the scripture, but it's a big deal. That's why we're going to be here for a long time. But this whole, I'm going to do an overview, so I'm going to hit a couple main points. Uh, I actually read, that, read this article on this uh, missionary to China, Ruth Paxson, uh, gave an outline of this whole book, and I loved it. So I'm going to borrow Ruth Paxson's outline, and then just I've filled in the gaps. And she outlined Ephesians this way. She said, uh, the first three chapters are the wealth, uh, four and five, chapter four and five is the walk, and chapter six is the warfare. So we're going to hit the wealth, the walk, and the warfare today uh, really briefly and go eat some lunch. Uh, well, the wealth. Well, I asked my family about this uh, when we were camping. We're, some of you know I came back from camping yesterday. My family is still there, or they would be here. They really would love to be here, I know. Uh, but they are still up in the Okanagan. We have one vehicle, so there's no way they could have come uh, as well. And, uh, but anyway, so... Uh, I asked them, what is it that you hear or what is it that you think of right away when you hear the word wealth? And maybe you can do that right now. Think about whatever that word is that comes to mind right away when you hear the word wealth. Uh, maybe go for a coffee or even at the picnic. Think about what words come up. My family came up with quite a few, but the one that popped up to the top uh, most often with everybody was riches. And when you go down that trail, when you start thinking about wealth and riches, oftentimes your heart, your mind will go towards satisfaction. And when you get to that point, then there's two glaring problems with the word wealth when you instantly, your mind goes to riches. And the first problem essentially is uh, that you think you've done it on your own. In some way or form, you've worked for these riches. You've put your effort in, you've worked hard, you've got a... Uh, nest egg, you've got all these things for you, you've got these things and you've done it all yourself. Or so you think you have. And you begin to think about self-reliance and you begin to think about your strengths and abilities and you begin to covet other people's things and wish they were yours. And you actually work hard to get those things and you begin to use people and deceive people and manipulate people for your self-kingdom. And it's this dangerous, glaring problem that sticks out when you start talking about wealth and riches, and it's pride. Pride comes out in all kinds of different ways, and in self-reliance and in self-worship. Paul describes the pride of self in chapter 2 with words like passions of the flesh, desires of the body and the mind, and children of wrath. Jesus in the Gospels reminds us uh, when our kingdom is about this world, our worries or desires in a parable that he shared become thorn-like and they choke us out. I asked my family about this problem on our camping trip and they actually said, it's in all of us. It's in all of us. Every single one of us walk in these things and our heart's tendencies when we think about wealth is pride or self-reliance or self-worship. We think we learned how to walk on our strength. We learned how to speak, run, laugh, make money, buy things. Everything is because of I did it on my own. Even the beating heart or the eyes that I can see with or the ears that I can hear, we claim for ourselves. Not all the time, obviously, to claim those things. We know that they're a gift, but how often have you actually praised God and said thank you for the gift of my heart beating this morning? 
or thank you that I got to wake up and see things. We don't do this often. The problem of self-worship is all throughout scripture and it is there for a reason. Paul in a different letter of his writes, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Like or Jesus in the gospels when he shared a parable of a rich man with way too much possession, way too many possessions and the unnamed rich man said to himself in his mind, I will build another barn for all of more possessions only to die the very next day. See, could we place, friends, could we place our name into that unnamed man in that parable? I know I can. I'm thinking about moving to the North Shore. There's all kinds of possessions in my house right now that I don't need. Why are they here? I have no idea. There's all kinds of things. I need another barn. Pride blinds us to our own folly. It blinds us to it. We don't even see that it occurred. But it also blinds us to each other. Between you and me. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10.24 says, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of others. Don't go too past that, that first comma there. Let no one seek his own good. Think about that for a second. Let no one seek his own good. That's a command. Like, why do you think Paul started with no one seek his own good? It's because we all are self-worshippers. We all are about this kingdom. Jesus said it in this, the same thing, kind of in a different way. That's the beauty of the Bible. It's saying the same thing in different ways over and over so that we get it. And Jesus in the second command said... Love your neighbor as yourself. I've talked to way too many people in a counseling setting going, you know what, I just don't love myself enough because Jesus said to love yourself. And I was like, that's not what he's saying in that text. He's saying, look at how much you love yourself. That's how much you ought to love your neighbor. Let no one seek his own good. See, we all have a self-worship problem and it leads to some deep roots of pride when it comes to wealth and the belief that we accomplished it on our own. The second glaring problem when it comes to wealth or when we think about riches is that we maybe get that wealth through an inheritance. It's just given to us, plopped on our lap. And instantly we have wealth. Well, the, the tendency of our heart is to abuse the gift. That's our tendency when it comes to an inheritance. Paul in Romans went after explaining the gift of grace to the Roman church uh, and grace being a gift that you do not deserve. The response from the Romans was, you kidding me? Jesus, when I'm an enemy and I'm weak and I'm a sinner, is gonna pay for all my sin? I'll just keep on sinning. That's the response. So the first problem of wealth being a gift is that you turn that gift into self-righteousness, self-worship and pride. The second glaring problem, you turn this into like a battle of antinomianism, which is just a fancy word of abusing the gift or in our culture right now, entitlement. 
There are many examples we see in scripture. A few uh, great ones are in 2 Chronicles with King Solomon uh, when he prayed to lead the people to God. It was a right, right prayer. He got a great gift from God, a gift of wisdom was bestowed upon him, but it only took a couple years and he blew that wisdom to all self-worship. Another example is in Luke 15 with the prodigal son, a parable that Jesus shared, and I'm sure all of you know this. This is one of those prodigal stories where the, the son goes to the father and goes, would you please give me all of my inheritance now, into, rather now instead of when you're dead? And the father graciously gives him this gift that he does not deserve, and he goes and spends it all in the world, running it out. Running it out. And I was talking with my family about this around the picnic table camping this week and we were mulling over all these stories of the Bible that we just see the abuse of the gift of grace over and over and over again. But what is the greatest abuse? And I was like, man, what is the greatest abuse? And I thought of Judas. Like this man got to walk with Jesus for three years, see the miraculous get to literally live out the things that we only get to read and he kissed it all away for 30 silver pieces. Like, but don't we all do this? Don't we all exchange the majesty that we see outside and the glory of God for the things of this world? Like, I want you guys to get to know me a little bit. So here's some of the things that I do and maybe you guys can relate. There are times when I'm tired and I end up binge watching some Netflix instead of reading my Bible. I'm abusing the gift of grace that is given to me. Are you kidding? This is the word of God? Like he spoke it and he given it to me and I choose to watch a TV show. It's crazy when you think about it. Other things I do uh, were there are times when I like to work out for health, but oftentimes in my mind, I want to work out for the affirmation of others. I want to look good for my self-kingdom. I'm going to use the things that God has given me to bless me. There are times that I will seek possessions, a drink, a look when I know deep in my heart it is for my kingdom and not the Lord's. Friends, we all have fallen short in our, in our worship. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. See, wealth is a gift, and that is the point of these first three chapters. But in order to see it rightly, Paul reminds us of our original state, which is death. Like death. This is what I'm trying to set up. To understand how good we have it, we need to look at our original state Right? Or we become the spoiled child begging their parents for ice cream while standing in line and saying, I don't, you don't love me, mom and dad, while standing in line at Disneyland. Right? That's us. Right? We need to see that each one of us starts at the very same spot. We are sons and daughters of disobedience. We start at the same spot at the game board of life as dead. We should actually, as evangelistic to our neighborhood, we should actually invite our neighbors over and play board games and lay our game piece down at the starting line. And the neighbor's going to go, dude, what's with the, pee, the game piece? Uh, you're going to stand that thing up? And I was like, oh, my friend. <laughs> I live in a world that the starting point is actually death. 
Look at Ephesians 2, 1, and 3. All right, turn there for us. It says, and you were dead, not alive, then dead. You were dead in your, the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is our starting point, and we never, ever, 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 ever ought to forget it. So where is the wealth? Well, the wealth is everywhere in the first three chapters. It's everywhere. So take your Bible, go back to chapter one, verse three, put your finger there, and I'm gonna list off 28 things that you get without doing a thing. Okay, so let's go. Verse three, we're gonna bang these off really quick. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And I don't know how many those are. That's it, like could be an infinite number right there. I'm just gonna count that as one. Chosen before creation, claimed as holy, blameless, predestined, adopted, purposed, blessed, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, forgiven, covered in grace, been given revelation of his will, given purpose, verse 10, if you're following along, united in him, given inheritance, again, predestined, our hope gives and brings him praise, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, we have a guaranteed inheritance, again, given Holy Spirit, wisdom, knowledge, revelation, enlightenment, hope, we are called, given a glorious inheritance, and in verse 19, given his power. You're given his power, not your power, his power. No amens to that? (laughs) Right? And this is nothing you have done. Nothing. Right? In the last, in, in that list of 23 blessings, let me just point out five really quickly. All right? Because this is an overview. So five really quick blessings out of this. You're chosen. I'm not sure if you remember, but I preached here June 6th on Psalm 139. You're chosen when? Before creation. Your every single day was written in, your law, in his logbook. You're chosen. You were adopted. That means that he goes into the orphanage and goes, I want you. I want you. I want that one. And I'll take that one. You are in my family. I've adopted you. He chooses us. He adopts us. He gives us an inheritance. He he, uh, guarantees that inheritance. And the inheritance is glorious. Those are just five out of the 28 that I listed off. He chooses, adopts, gives us an inheritance, guarantees the inheritance, and the inheritance is glorious. I don't use the word glorious a whole lot. I'm not sure if you guys do, but it sure sounds good. This is glorious. The day is glorious. Right? This glorious inheritance is the sealed promise of the Holy Spirit. What better inheritance could we ever ask for? But there is so much more. Like the Messiah is so much better. Like remember, the Messiah was the one to come to fulfill the covenant that God made with Israel. But he not only fulfilled that covenant with with Israel, he fulfilled this with all nations. As it says in chapters uh, three, but here in verse, or chapter one, verse seven, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. 
Again, flipping back and forth to chapter two, verse four and five, it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when, remember, when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Nothing you've done. Grace you have been saved. Are you, this is amazing, this is glorious. Right? Remember how I began, there are two problems that come with wealth. Right? The one is that you think you've done it all on your own, which leads to pride and self-righteousness, self-justification. Right? Or the other is you get it by an inheritance, and it leads to entitlement and antinomianism, the abuse of grace. You receive it this, and, and it's this, this abuse that runs out. Well, as I was thinking through this, Jesus meets both sides perfectly, right? In this side, in in these first three chapters, he is reminding us that his inheritance has nothing at all to do with you. Removing any opportunity to point to yourself or pat yourself on the back. He completely removes that opportunity for you in, in these first three chapters. The inheritance received can never run out, meaning this inheritance is never going to run out. It is an imperishable inheritance. It's obtained, it's guaranteed, and it's glorious. And it says in chapter 3, it's for all nations. See, this is the wealth of knowing Jesus. He gives you something you cannot earn and something that will never run out. Himself. As further evidence, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 5, this is the beauty of God's word, and it says the same thing in slightly different ways. It says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living, not a dead hope, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The wealth, my friends, it was offered 2,000 years ago and is still offered today. It is offered to you right now. You see, the idea of this journey of life you're on, it's not about you. It's all about Jesus. This life is about Jesus, and our purpose is to live entirely for him. So when you are called to go somewhere, you drop what you're doing and you go. You go because you recognize everything is a gift. Nothing is yours. It's all his. This, friends, is wealth. That is the wealth. It's all his. So you can go freely and do whatever you need to do when he calls you to go. Jesus paid for your inheritance of death. Now walk in the freedom. And friends, you know that I'm trying to be a pastor here, a shepherd here, and this is, I'm trying to, potential leader here of yours, and I'm trying to give you a living example of this right now. I'm possibly leaving a job that I love. I shared this with the search committee. I'm actually not looking for this job. I never was. It was literally given to me on June 10th, this opportunity to pray for this, which I wasn't praying for. I started praying for it and all kinds of crazy things happened. (laughs) 
This means that I will need to leave a job that I love. This means that I will leave a neighborhood that I love and I've shared the gospel with and I've prayed for and I've partied with and I've cried with people in our neighborhood. I love our neighborhood. This means that we will leave friends and family to possibly come and be an example to you and point you, short church, the greatest source, the greatest redeemer, the greatest wealth you will ever experience, and that is Jesus, and I don't stop, want to stop ever doing that. And so this leads us to the next pillar, the walk. So we have the wealth and the walk. We as Christians or Christ followers are renewed, are taken from death and brought to life. We are to live new lives of holiness, to live new lives of holiness in thought, word, and deed, and must reject our old sinful lifestyles, this is what chapter four and five is all about. So the importance of talking about the wealth first and helping us all remember that it's a gift of grace to you was not done, we have to do that because if I started in chapter four or five, there's a great danger that we would become empty moralists pointing our self-righteous finger at each other because they aren't living according to the Bible's instructions or they aren't doing this or they aren't doing that. It becomes a works-based religion and that's not what Christ has brought into this world. So we need to see that we are all on the same page together, sons and daughters of disobedience, living for our own gain, sinners before a holy God. But I wonder if we have forgotten that. If the subtlety, if the complacency has seeped into your heart, as at times it seeps into mine. See, living for our own gain, we are sinners before a holy God. But, I, but this thing, every one of us has broken relationships. We have all these shortcomings, not only between each other, but also shortcomings between us and God. And so every one of us has these broken relations, friends, enemies at school, work, family, spouse, coworkers, roommates, you name it. We have broken relationships somewhere, and we are broken people. Not one of us here has it all together. Not one of us. And I can guarantee you that not, there's not one person on this planet that has the ability to stand before a holy God and account for his deeds and be welcomed into heaven without the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ. Not one. In chapter 1, verse 7, it, again, it, I've read this already, but it says, in him we have redemption. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, our sins, our rebellion, whatever word you want to use there according to the riches of his grace. See, God has in fact been saying this to humankind for all, in all time, right from the beginning of the, the, the book, of his book. There is no God, there is no religion, there is no action on this planet outside of Jesus' redeeming blood that can save you. This is the wealth. So when you want to move from the wealth into the walk, we need to go to chapter four, verse one, where it says, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, Paul urges you and exhorts you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So the wealth, remembering that all of these blessings have nothing to do with our, our works, but only by grace we are called to walk in them, you could essentially put a massive therefore at the end of chapter three. 
So moving from the wealth to the walk, there are things you need to be aware of in your heart. Just like when you hear wealth, your heart goes to self-righteousness and pride or abuse of the gift. In the walk, your heart will do something nasty as well. Your heart's tendency will turn the walk into legalism. What I mean is that we will begin to perform for God with the motivation to please him, which is a great starting point. But oftentimes it will turn into, hey God, look at what I'm doing for you. Or look at what those people aren't doing for you. So I say this because we have examples of this in scripture. In Matthew chapter seven, we see this when people come to Jesus and go, hey Jesus, welcome me into your kingdom. Look at all the things I've done for you. I've cast out demons, I've done this and that and this. And Jesus looks at them and goes, I don't even know you. See, we again become prideful, self-righteous, and entitled children, forgetting the many blessings around us, and also begin to play the external judge of others. See, the transformation from the dead game board piece, the child of wrath, to being made alive begins by walking in the manner of the calling to which you have been called. So what is this calling? We'll turn to chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. It's the very next verses. And Paul gives us five starting points for our walk. He gives us humility. He gives us gentleness. He gives us patience. Bearing with one another in love. And eagerly maintaining unity. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. And eagerly maintaining unity. This is an instruction to the church in Ephesus, but to us as well. You as a church have gone through the hardest thing a church could ever go through, losing a lead pastor. There's emotions, there's feelings, there's thoughts, there's all kinds of things that are going on. And those things need to be dealt with for sure and cared for. But the time to act is now. Not self-righteously, not legalistically, not with pride, or entitlement, can you guess what I'm gonna say, how to act? With humility, with gentleness, with patience, with bearing with one another in love, and with eagerly maintaining unity. Again, this is an overview of the whole book, but I wanna plant myself here for a bit because of the situation. So remember the wealth, if you proclaim that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're saved, and now you're called to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in humility. You're commanded to do it. To literally think less of yourself and more of the person in front of you. How often are we doing that? Thinking less of myself and looking at the next person in front of me and going, you're greater than me. That's so backwards from our culture. You're commanded to be gentle in thought, action, and speech, putting foolish talk and corruption away from you. Foolish talk and corruption. Cast it away. You're commanded to be patient with your church. Patient. If you love this church, which 
according to Paul in, first, or in, in chapter 5, is Jesus' bride, you ought to think twice about speaking against Jesus' bride. It's a big deal. I was talking to my son uh, when he came for a couple days of camping with his wife, and, and he's in ministry at Praxis Church, which uh, your church supports, and he leads worship there. And, and we were talking about ministry, and I'm starting to give more insight into some of the things that I hear as an elder of a church. And, and I was sharing with him, man, there's some things that, that a church just shares with one another, and it's just horrible. And I said to him, if anyone talked like that to Jody your mom, like that, there'd be trouble. Why do we have freedom then to talk about the church when it's Jesus' bride? We need to think twice about it. Be patient. Trust in the Lord with the, the provisions he's given the church, the eldership, the, 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 the leaders that have been anointed in this ministry. You're commanded Fourth one there, you are commanded to bear with one another in love. This is a willingness to enter into a place that's uncomfortable. Are you willing to enter into a place that's uncomfortable with one another? Finally, you are called to walk in unity. This means if you have anything in your heart towards another, like anything, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount to stop your worship and go deal with it. That's a big deal. Jesus saying to stop worshiping me. Stop worshiping me, go deal with your brother. This is eagerly desiring and maintaining unity between one another. This church is for us. It's for each one of us. To be humble before one another, to be gentle, to be patient, to, to bear with one another in love and to eagerly maintain this unity with one another. The walk is summed up in chapter 5 with verses 1, 8, and 15. I think it's on the screen for you. Where we see the commands to be imitators of God. Are we imitating God this last week? In what you look at? What you view on TV? What you allow into your homes? What you read? What you study? What you look at when you're driving down the road? how you're driving down the road when the guy cuts you off? Are you imitating God? <laughs> Bless you, sir. <laughs> Be imitators of God. Walk as children of darkness. No, children of light. And look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. This leads us to our final section of the letter. So we have the wealth, which is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ redeeming us with his blood, with grace. The walk, now walk like him. And the warfare. See, in Ephesus, Paul is writing to a people that were fascinated with magic and the occult, which in many ways explains Paul's emphasis on the power of God over all heavenly authorities and on Christ's triumphant ascension as head over the church and over all things in this age and the age to come. See, the Ephesians and we need to be reminded of these things. Remain resolute in allegiance to Christ as the supreme power over the world, over our lives, and over the church. He is the chief shepherd. 
He's the supreme power. See, the power of God is mentioned over five times in this letter, and most famously in chapter 6, verse 10, where it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Remember, you got his power in, verse, in chapter 1. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. See, the warfare is the battle that is all around us, and we must be ready. And as many of you know, I'm sure you've known or heard this text before, uh, but this warfare is not with what? Flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And we are called in that text to take up the armor of God. Not our armor, but God's. And this armor passage is definitely a favorite of the churches, right? Because it looks really cool, right? It's like you teach it in Sunday school class. Maybe some of you remember the flannel boards and you put all the little armor pieces on the little character and the guy looks super tough. Or you go to your Christian bookstore and this is what I did when I had little kids running around, my son especially, because, man, boys love this stuff. They love turning everything into a gun or a weapon, and so, you know, I went to the Christian bookstore and I was like, here's a shield and a helmet and, a, and it's all plastic stuff. I was like, go beat the crap out of your neighbor kids. You got the spiritual armor of God, man. Go beat them up. That's not how it went. But th they would run around with all this armor and it was fun. They'd pound on each other with all these rubber swords and stuff. And it was the armor of God. And I want us to skip right away on this text anyway for this time, maybe for the first time for you, to strip away the imagery because oftentimes when we read this text, we look at the imagery. So strip away the shield, strip away the helmet, strip away the breastplate, strip away the feet, the, the shoes, the belt, and look at the armor. So look at, with, look at it with me in verses 14 through 18 and see what we see here. We see truth, we see righteousness, we see readiness, we see the good news of peace which is the story of Jesus, which we saw in chapters one through three. We see faith, we see salvation, and the word of God and prayer. This is the armor. Let me put it to you another way. The armor of God is to speak truth. Speak truth. Don't lie. Walk as children of light. Imitate your father. Speak truth. The armor of God is to live righteously. The armor of God is to be ready to share and evangelize with anyone in front of you. To, to the armor of God is to know the story of God. The armor of God is to seek to increase your faith. The armor of God is to remember that salvation is from God, not by works. The armor of God is to read, hear, study, memorize, and meditate on Scripture because it is the one tool that you are to wield. So how do you know to, how to wield it if you don't read it? How do you know how to wield it if you don't study it? How do you know if, how to wield it if you don't memorize it and meditate on it? And do it daily. And the armor of God is to pray without ceasing. You put on that armor, and you'll do very well. The wealth, the walk, and the warfare, they all coexist for the purpose of the mystery of the gospel that was revealed in Jesus Christ, for the redemption we have been given by Jesus, and for the glory of the church in Jesus for all generations. May God bless the shore in you and I as we continue to make Jesus known.
Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for all you've done for us. I thank you for the wealth of the gospel and how deep and rich it is. And we just touched on it today. Thank you, Jesus, for coming 2,000 years ago and walking on this earth perfectly when we could not. Thank you for dying for our sin, for our penalty, for our wrath that is so deserved from the Father, but yet you took it on yourself so that we could walk free? That's too glorious for us to even imagine. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for giving us the armor to continue the walk and to remember the wealth. And I pray for this church, Lord, that you'll continue to guide it and nurture it and grow it uh, for your coming kingdom and the blessings of it. And would it, would it affect change in all the neighborhoods that are represented here in this room? Lord, would we be instruments in your hands to move forward for your namesake and your grace and your goodness. In Jesus we pray, amen.